Welcome to America's Cannabis Conversation, where you can hear experts from all facets of the cannabis business as to what's happening in this exploding industry. Keep yourself informed. Join the conversation. Hello and welcome to America's Cannabis Conversation Quick News. I'm Dan Perkins, your host. Washington, D.C. 10 senators demand that marijuana businesses be allowed to access federal SBA loans. A group of 10 senators recently sent a letter to the Appropriations Committee leadership requesting that language allowing marijuana businesses to access loans and other aid through the Federal Small Business Administration be included in the upcoming spending bill report. The letter led by Senator Jack Rosen, Democrat of Nevada, described the unique financial barriers that state and legal cannabis companies face while marijuana remains federally illegal. The senator said that freeing up SBA loans and disaster assistance for the industry is especially needed because the funds will fill gaps left by the private sector and help mitigate the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. To that end, the lawmakers included Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, Cory Booker in New Jersey, submitted a request for a policy change to the head of the Senate Appropriations Committee and the Appropriations Financial Services and General Government Subcommittee last month. They especially asked that language be added in fiscal year 2022 for a bill to report and ensure SBA is authorized to issue loans to these businesses. Washington, D.C. Bullying in the 1990s led to the Olympics marijuana ban behind the Richardson suspension. The suspension of U.S. runner Carrie Richardson over a positive marijuana test has led many to call for changes to the Olympics rules with even President Joe Biden, a top White House official and American sports regulator saying it might be time to reconsider punishing athletes for cannabis. The question is how did the sport prohibition get imposed in the first place? We have to go back to 1998 when Barry McCaffrey, who served as President Bill Clinton's drug czar, sent a 10-page memo to the International Olympic Committee in 1998 that said that the Games, quote, must adopt a comprehensive anti-drug program, end of quote, that should include punishing participants who test positive for recreational drugs like marijuana, according to the Associated Press report at the time. McCaffrey went on to say, we raise Olympic athletes up on an international pedestal for all the world's children to look up to as role models. It is vital that the message they send is drug free. For what it's worth, a new poll from YouGov found that women are notably more likely to oppose Richardson's suspension than the men. Now for a quick tour of things you need to know. The FBI is quietly loosening its employment restrictions for past marijuana use within the last month. It's the latest sign that attitudes about cannabis are changing, even at the highest level of federal law enforcement. Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee signed a bill creating a pilot program for harm reduction centers where people can consume illegal drugs under medical supervision. The White House Office of National Drug Control Policy is inviting public comment on how drug policies can better achieve equity and remove systemic barriers for underserved communities. That's your America's Cannabis Conversation Quick News. I'm Dan Perkins. Let's see who's on the show today. 
opening today in our Discover, Engage, and Compete in the Cannabis Landscape from New Frontier Data. John Kajia, who is the Chief Intelligence Officer, is going to talk about the changing role of the Budmaster. Next is Erwin Simon, the Chairman and CEO of Apria, and he's going to talk about the Telray Cannabis Outlook towards the future. Then on the money side, we have Mike Regan and his partner talking about what to do looking 20 years out in investing in the cannabis space. And finally, finally we have Big Mike Stamersius, who was on the very first show, and he's going to talk about his new growing product line. This is Dan Perkins. Let's get the conversation started. Hello, this is Dan Perkins for America's Cannabis Conversation, and I want to tell you about a new sponsor, New Frontier Data, and their Equio amazing software to help you discover, engage, and compete in the cannabis marketplace. For the first time, you have the ability to discover on your computer desktop valuable information on state, city, and even zip codes to assess your opportunities for cannabis investment in that market. Through the Engage portion, you will be able to figure out what products in a marketplace consumers would be interested in buying. And finally, with Compete, you'll be able to look at prospect profiles and find new and innovative opportunities to test new products to attract new customers. Significant change is coming in the cannabis industry, and you need to get ready now and be prepared for this fantastic opportunity ahead of you. For more information on the EQO software for your business, go to newfrontierdata.com and look for the EQO section and expand your horizons. I'm Dan Perkins. Welcome back to America's Cannabis Conversation. And joining us today is an old friend, John Kajia from New Frontier Data, who is a sponsor. And they're sponsoring a section called Discover, Engage, and Compete in the Cannabis Landscape, brought to you by New Frontier Data, a global leader in cannabis data. John, welcome back to the program. It's always a pleasure to have you. Oh, delighted to be back, Dan. Great so, to yes, thank you. John had suggested as a topic that he wanted to talk about, I was fascinated with. And that is, what is the, the role of the bud tender in the dispensary? And if I could just slip in a little question, I know you want to talk about how it's going to change, but if the whole distribution channel changes to direct sales and more and more um, delivery, how will that affect the bud tender? So let's let's just start with the first part. What what are you what are you thinking about in terms of the role of the bud tender? Let's go there. This is a really important question as we as we try and understand the evolution of the retail environment. So up until pre-COVID, um, broadly speaking, you know the, 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 the bud tenders had a phenomenal amount of uh, influence and power in in terms of shaping the consumer's decision. Uh, the product landscape is evolving quickly. Uh, consumers are, are coming into we're, we're coming into dispensaries and looking for recommendations for which products to buy. And so the the recommendations that they would be getting from the bud tenders uh, really played a huge role in in kind of dictating which brands they ended up engaging with, uh, and ultimately you know which which companies uh, these consumers uh, would, would become loyal to. With COVID and, and with this fracturing of the in-store experience, you know, with, with a lot of states now allowing delivery services, with curbside pickup, with drive-throughs, 
um, there's a shift that's beginning to happen where now that consumers are, are, are spending less time in stores, or at least they have over the past 18 months of the pandemic, the question becomes how do they learn about uh, the products? And it's really past this kind of new uh, intense interest and pressure around how to leverage technology to help bridge this gap that used to be um, or, or fulfill this role that used to be fulfilled uh, by the bud tenders. Um, and, and think about creative ways of, of leveraging the expertise and the knowledge of the bud tenders, but doing so in a way that allows consumers to benefit from this information when they're sitting at home on their couch or, or browsing on their phone uh, as they're running errands in town. Uh, uh, so they're able to get benefit from, this, from the knowledge and insights of the bud tender without necessarily having to set, set foot in the store. Uh, and this is, you know, a, a challenge that a lot of retailers are wrestling with. Uh, so it's happening in real time. But ultimately, we think that post-pandemic, people will return to the retail environment, but they'll also find a lot more technology to supplement the experience of interacting with a human behind the counter. So let, let, let's let me follow up that with a, with a couple of quick questions. Um, I've been involved with this business not as long as you have. But I couldn't tell you what the qualifications are to be a bud tenor in a store, if any. I don't think there are any tests or certifications one has to take to be a bud tender. So that's the first question. Help our audience understand just what this role is. And and number two, if we think about the bud tender, is it is it inappropriate or fair to say that he or she is first and foremost a salesperson, and will their objectivity by be biased by the compensation they might receive on selling a particular product? Well, so maybe I'll actually take the second question first, and it's a good one. You know, are, are they in essence uh, just a salesperson? I actually think it is okay if we could, if we think about the bud tenders uh, as people who are driving sales for the organization, uh, because that actually. Um, helps retailers understand that the success of the organization can be meaningfully, meaningfully impacted by the quality of butt tenders that you have. Um, we've all had uh, retail experiences where the service has been so exemplary that we'd be willing to drive out of our way to go back to that store um, mm -hmm. uh, simply because we felt like they really met our need versus the place that's closer to home where you know they don't give, uh, they don't care about um, whether you're satisfied or not. They just want to move you out, get, get you out the door as quickly as possible. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't think it is necessarily a negative to think about the bartender as a salesperson. But the okay. issue is that um, up until this point, there were no standards for, you know, who could qualify to be a bud tender. Um, and indeed, you know, I, I have visited you know, hundreds of dispensaries in, in my career, and it is really striking the delta between um, the types of bud tenders who, who are – um, for lack of a better word, order takers. They, they, they simply want to know what you want. They'll find the closest thing that approximates it to you. They know very little about the products that they're selling, um, but they're, they're ringing you up at the cash register and sending you on your way. Versus, and, and I'll use one example, which for me was, was a transcendent retail experience. There's a dispensary in uh, Portland, Oregon called uh, Pharmacy, which um, had the most knowledgeable, uh, well-informed, um, insightful bud tenders I had I've ever experienced. 
Mm-hmm. They knew the products, you know, they had a small selection of products in the store, but they knew these products back and forth. Uh, they understood the chemical, not only the, the chemical compositions of, um, uh, in terms of which terpenes and uh, cannabinoids were included in these products, but they actually understood the science undergirding them. And you could see that there'd been an intense training that, had, that these bud tenders had gone through that meant that this was the sort of place I would be comfortable bringing my grandmother just because they were so patient, so knowledgeable, um, and, and so willing to kind of work with you to get you the, the, a, a perfect fit product. Um, that, that it's no surprise that, that the, the bread tenders and, and the store itself have been winning awards for the quality of the service uh, uh, practically since the, the, that, that dispensary has been open. And so while there are no, uh, while there are a growing number of organizations that offer training guides and uh, quote-unquote certifications for bud tenders, um, and you know we urge people to do their diligence in, in weighing which of those programs they might want to, uh, to, 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 to learn from, uh, it is worth noting that you know there does need to be a, a much greater focus involved in creating uh, well-rounded, well-trained bud tenders, not just in service delivery, but on the products that they are selling. Um, and, and I think that's going to make a, a, a real and meaningful difference, uh, particularly as you start to see newer, less experienced consumers coming into dispensaries and looking for some guidance on what to buy. John, on our last visit, you you told me that that the the retail environment has changed dramatically. It used mm-hmm. to be when you walked into a dispensary, the bud products were up front, and you said, I believe, in the last show you were on with me, that the bud product has been moved to the back of the store. That that the dispensaries and the customers seem to be more interested in prepackaged products. Uh, because of certifications and purity and all kinds of other issues that the raw cannabis has raised some concern in some some people's minds. But clearly the retail environment has moved that the, the raw product, the bud, is being sent to the back of the store. Not that people aren't buying it, but packaged products. And so that the knowledge level of what is needed as a bud, a bud tender might have been appropriate when you were selling basically bud, but now that you're doing packaged products, and, and to a lesser degree, buds, maybe bud tender is not a, a good name, and we don't have to go into that today. I'm just giving that as an observation. <laughs> but but what I'm saying is that it, it seems to me that that you're right. There are a lot of people <clears throat> who don't know, and, and I was talking to somebody earlier in the week, and uh, they were talking about how explosive the number of dispensaries because of the number of states that have allowed medical and or recreational, um, there might possibly might be a shortage of qualified people. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? So, so that's right. You know, and, and maybe just on the first point, you know, part of the reason why you're starting to see a higher prioritization of, the, of these value-added products, the non-bud products, um, is, you know, and why they're being shifted around in the store is, uh, retailers understand, you know, if, if you're a regular smoker and as soon as you walk in, the first thing you see is your bud, you have no incentive to keep wandering through the store. So uh, as, we, uh, as they try to kind of get um, uh, flower consumers to explore the options, the further back into the store that you put the flower products, the more these consumers will be walking past the, the candies and the beverages and um, the, the topicals edibles. and the babes and the edibles. 
Um, and given how much the quality of the marketing, the packaging, branding, the design has improved, there's no way you're walking past these products without something catching your eye. Right. And, th- and, then, and so to your point, um, when, when we, as we have seen this transition from a primarily flower-dominated market to one where um, you, you're talking about a, a truly hyper-fragmented uh, product landscape, we were just doing a study, uh, an analysis of just Washington State, and there are currently 7,000 different approved uh, infused products in that market alone. Um, the, the need for, for um, bud tenders, for, for sales staff within the retail environment who can speak more than just about the experience with flower, um, who can understand the different needs of a consumer who may be looking for a topical versus uh, topical to, to deal with a localized pain uh, versus looking for, um, say, an edible that might help them sleep better at night. There's a nuance with the, with the use and the application of these products uh, that I think is really critical to, to helping consumers navigate an increasingly fragmented landscape. And, and so having just specialists who smoke a lot of flour and that's their product of choice, um, I think is actually a disservice, uh, does a disservice to the customers who are going to be looking, I think, increasingly coming in open to the spectrum of possibilities that are available to them. A minute or so we have... Um, I want to follow up what you just said. Do you think part of decriminalization at the federal level might, in fact, include licensing? Not the stores, but the people, some certification. So I actually think this is more likely to be driven by uh, industry associations, by the trade groups, who are trying to create kind of standards for normalization uh, uh, um, at the operator level um, uh, than relying on government to, to mandate these qualifications. So I, I, would, I would actually suspect um, if we do end up starting to see um, more widely adopted standards for um, bud tender qualification, uh, I think this is actually something that the industry should develop rather than have it be imposed by, by the federal government. And the more effective that the industry is in creating a well-structured uh, program so that people can be qualified to serve uh, consumers effectively, I think that actually decreases then the likelihood that you're going to end up with uh, either state-level or national-level regulations uh, dropped on the industry from on high. Yeah. John, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. We've been speaking with John Kajia from New Frontier Data, and they are uh, the sponsor of the segment that John was just on, and and that segment is uh, Discover, Engage, and Compete in the Cannabis Landscape. John, thanks again for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Dan. Thank you. If you missed any of this great interview with John, go to w420radionetwork.com. You can get the contact information for John, and you can also listen to this show and many other shows that John has been on. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Dan Perkins, and I've got a question for you. If you knew what your customers wanted, would you be more successful? Of course you would, but how can you obtain this valuable information for your success? If you use the Engage portion of the Equio software from New Frontier Data, you won't need to guess what customers want to buy. Guessing can be very challenging and expensive, and more often than not, non-productive. If you want to find out what customers want, then go to newfrontierdata.com and click on the Equio button, and don't forget to ask about the special offer. This is Dan Perkins. 
Welcome back to the conversation. And joining us today is Erin Simon, who is going to be the CEO of a newly merged operation that will carry the name Tilray. And we want to talk to him about what's going on in the business. Erwin, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm fascinated with the idea that this was a merger of two companies that created, in terms of revenue, the largest cannabis company in the world at the moment. But it appears that there may be other mergers behind you that are nipping at your heels. Is merger where this country is going to go and where these companies are going to go going forward? Good question. I think you come back and you look at every industry today and you look at the world today. Consolidation is more the word, and it's got to be consolidation for the right reason, just not a merger or an acquisition just to say, hey, I did an acquisition or I did a merger. In our case, you know, when I took over Freya two years ago, there was lots of challenges. And with that, the first and foremost was to make sure that a Freya was stable, the foundation was strong. There was a real good strategy and that we emerged to be the number one supplier in regards to sales share and EBITDA in Canada. As I stepped back and I looked at Afria from a global footprint and what did I need to do? Canada's a great country. I'm Canadian, grew up there. There's limitations to what you can do and how big you can grow. Mm -hmm. So with that, because cannabis is not legal federally yet in the U.S., I couldn't go out and buy another Canadian cannabis company. I did go out and buy a U.S. beer company, alcohol company. I couldn't go out and buy anything in Europe other than a medical business. So a frit, uh, Tilray was absolutely the right way to go. It was a U.S. domiciled company. It had a very good medical platform in Canada. It had one of the top medical platforms in Europe. They had a U.S. footprint with Manitoba Harvest. And with that, there was lots of synergies to bring the two together. So it's a consolidation. It was a reverse merger. It allowed me to don't re-domicile back into the U.S., which there's you know advantages to that. And it set up a company that has tremendous growth opportunities around the world and also now has a footprint in the U.S. When legalization does happen in the U.S., there's a good opportunity for us to be you know, at the top of the pack there. Or when we had on our show a, a CEO of a research cannabis research company a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about the changes because of the UN resolution on decriminalization of cannabis, a boon to business in Europe. But when I asked her about sale of recreational, she said, no, the, the boom in Europe is going to be companies that are going to get in business to do business in the United States, that the the United States is still the greatest opportunity, at least for now, in the world. Where do you see your combined companies going? So, again, she is absolutely right. If you come back and look at the United States and you look at Canada today, you know, it's a $6 billion business there. You look at the U.S., it's a $60 billion business And then you look at all the other derivative products that could come from it in drinks, food products, pet food, et cetera. So the U.S. major, major opportunity and also the U.S. is a major, major opportunity in regards to medical. And I come back and say between medical, between consumer products and between recreational, it's a $100 billion opportunity. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I come back and I'm still 
fascinated by the opportunities in Europe. I, I think medical is legal in a lot of countries today, whether it's Germany, whether it's Portugal, whether it's in other countries. Israel, you know, I'm told is going to legalize. Germany's going to legalize. There's 600 million people in Europe. So Europe, if you come back and look at it from a size standpoint, it is absolutely bigger than the U.S. So I think there's tremendous opportunities in Europe. And I think, again, and personally, I built a consumer packaged goods business in the U.S. and the rest of the world. That was a $3.5 billion, billion company. So with that, I absolutely agree with her. The U.S. is you know, where some of the bigger prize money is. But on the other hand, you can't sit back and just wait for legalization to happen, okay? You know, the Biden administration is not going to be on the agenda for the first 100 days. And, you know, we got to go through the Safe Bank Act. We got to go through the Moore Act. We got to go through legalization. Then we'd have to go through once if it was legalized, how do you run it by the states versus the federal government? No different than alcohol when it was legalized. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot before I believe I'm going to be able to sell cannabis in the U.S. from a recreational standpoint. I think we're a few years out. But what's going to be important, though, is if we can get them the Safe Bank Act passed or the MORE Act, which is decriminalization, that's going to be a big movement because it allows you, from a commerce standpoint in regards to dealing with banks, it allows you to ultimately institutional investors invest in your company, and a lot can happen in regards to the financial ways once banking is approved. Because now it's very difficult to get institutions, it's very difficult to deal with U.S. banks because of legalization and not being legal. Right. You know, you mentioned something which I thought was in very interesting because of some of your contemporaries that I've had on the show don't seem to have the same kind of vision you have. You, If, if I'm understanding you correctly, you seem to think that the medical market is a very important market to the long-term success of the industry and of your company. There are a lot of people who don't think we need a medical market, that the, the, the adult use will take care of the medical market. Where do you come down on that? I am big on the medical market. I think there's a lot of opportunities, and I see it. I hear it about patients today in regards to anxiety, in regards to pain, in regards to sleep. I see it in regards to patients that are suffering from cancer and on you know harsh chemotherapy. So I absolutely think there's a lot of research and development, and that's something I'm behind to stay focused on the medical world and would be a part of it. I think it's a major replacement from, from opioids, and so medical will be something that we're going to absolutely focus on. I uh, was speaking to Erwin before we went on the air today and about uh, looking at some of the research on his company and the various medical research projects that he's got going on, which is amazing. We are so far behind the curve in what we should have been doing if we had had a more freer market and less criminal proceedings, we could be doing a lot more work in the areas that you've talked about with medical research. Uh, thank God we're starting to do it today, but we're really behind the curve. And Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, in Europe, epilepsy, we have seen in regards to kids having 300 plus seizures a day, they're down to two or three a day. We, we have seen in regards to anxiety in research working with hospitals there. So I 
happen to think medical is a very, very important part. And the good news is a lot of companies are dismissing it, and I see that's our opportunity. Yeah. I have people tell me that the there is a distinct difference in the products that you would use in a medical situation versus products you would use in recreational, and they don't cross borders very well that the, some of the side effects on the recreational would not be desirable on the part of the medical. And so the idea that you're committed to the medical from a business standpoint, because it's going to be a huge market, and it's a big market in the United States. Canada has to total deregulation. Do they make a, a significant difference between medical and recreational? There is a significant on the different strains and the different products. And so there absolutely is. And because you're being prescribed, and there has to be because are you just are you being prescribed it for for pain? Um, there's different cannabis there that keep you awake. There's different cannabis that put you asleep. So definitely. Well, unfortunately, Irwin, we're almost at the end of this segment. Where can people follow your company and the progress you're making on so many different fronts? So they can absolutely follow it on afria.com on our website, our social media. Listen, we're out there. And again, the big big thing is being somebody who's created a lot of natural organic food brands. To me, this is not about smoking recreational cannabis for a high. There's an enjoyment part of it here. But as you said, there's a big emphasis from myself personally, just on the medical side too. And I think that's really important for adults, for kids, for you know whoever absolutely needs it. And, and and there's a lot of training and education on it because the first thing, if my 80-year-old mother, I said to her, I want you to have some cannabis for your arthritis. So you want me to smoke pot? No, I don't want you to smoke pot. I want you to take a medicine for it, okay? Yeah. So yeah. anyway. Good. So thank you so much for joining us today, Erwin. Thank you very much for having me. Have a great day. Thank you. Now, if you missed any of this terrific interview with Erwin Simon of Tilray, Go to W420RadioNetwork.com, go to the archive section, and you can replay this show at your leisure and list a bunch of other stuff. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Dan Perkins for America's Cannabis Conversation, and I want to tell you about a new sponsor, New Frontier Data, and their Equio amazing software to help you discover, engage, and compete in the cannabis marketplace. For the first time, you have the ability to discover on your computer desktop valuable information on state, city, and even zip codes to assess your opportunities for cannabis investment in that market. Through the Engage portion, you will be able to figure out what products in a marketplace consumers would be interested in buying. And finally, with Compete, you'll be able to look at prospect profiles and find new and innovative opportunities to test new products to attract new customers. Significant change is coming in the cannabis industry. And you need to get ready now and be prepared for this fantastic opportunity ahead of you. For more information on the EQO software for your business, go to newfrontierdata.com and look for the EQO section and expand your horizons. I'm Dan Perkins. You're listening to America's Cannabis Conversation on W420radionetwork.com. Welcome back to the conversation. Joining us today is Mr. Mike Regan, our money guy. And we thought because of all of the volatility in, in all the markets, we thought today we would focus on the question, well, you know, I haven't really invested in cannabis or any way. I've been looking at it, but with all the volatility, is what should I be doing? What should I be following? 
if I want to consider the possibility. So, Michael, what are the what's the advice that you give a, a novice investor who's never invested in cannabis how they should look at this opportunity? Thanks, Dan. Well, uh, a, a couple things are just sort of the standard things you would look for for in any investment, regardless of what the uh, you know, whether it's cannabis or autos or or you know cheesecake, whatever whatever business you're looking for. You know, you want to look for um, you know a good balance sheet, uh, a good management team, and then sort of just a good business in general. When looking, but that sort of goes for sort of any business. Uh, when looking at cannabis specifically, uh, the first thing you have to understand is that uh, the Canadian stocks and the U.S. stocks, uh, when I say that, I mean the companies that actually operate in Canada versus the companies that operate in the United States, regardless of where the stocks trade, they all trade in Canada. Uh, they're very, very different markets. Um, the overall, How are they different? How are they different, Michael? So the Canadian market is federally legal, uh, and at this point it is uh, a market that's beset by uh, oversupply of product, price pressure on the product, margin pressure for the companies as a result, and the companies that are there are basically trying to adjust their cost structures to operate profitably. In the U.S., in contrast, um, it's still federally illegal, and there's a bunch of uh, – they pay higher taxes as a result, but the operators that are there are typically more profitable and have a faster-growing market with access to a larger market um, if there's additional legalization catalysts. So basically, if the, the, the main benefit for the U.S. is you uh, – or investing in the U.S. is you get that, that upside from incremental legalization – or relief of uh, pressures right now because of the federal illegal, uh, illegality of cannabis in the U.S. Whereas the Canadian market, you're basically hoping that they can manage into a new industry and manage the margin expansion and cost cutting. And if the U.S. goes legal, they have access to a new market, but then they'll just be you know, accessing a new market versus the American companies, which because of the illegality have – a much higher cost of capital and other burdens that hopefully go away as it becomes more legal. And I can get into those next if you'd like. So let's let's just stop for it and unpack a little bit of that. Um, well, when the cannabis industry started in the United States legally, it was predominantly a mom-and-pop business because there was no way to build a company that could market across state lines. Still can't do that. But there's a new class, a relatively new class of equities called MSOs or multiple state operators. And these are companies that have operations, independent operations in individual states, yet they're under a common umbrella. And so we're slowly or are we slowly or rapidly moving away from the mom and pop into the, the model of multi-state operator. And then if we get relief from the Congress on the, the liabilities and the legality of, of this product, <clears throat> excuse me, are we going to see mom and pops disappear 
and multi-start operators will form a different concept than multi-states. They'll just be one holding company with operations in the states. Well, it goes back to the the market. So, as you point out, in the U.S., you know, it's every market is different. So, California is not the same as Colorado, which is not the same as uh, you know Arizona, which is not the same as Canada. And it's the same thing for Canada. That Canadian operators don't really operate in the U.S. because it's still federally illegal. Uh, so, it still is a very much fragmented um, business, uh, as you point out. Um, there are some companies, you know, most of the publicly traded ones are starting to basically own operations in each state. So they're so the operations in each state are still separate, but they're owned by one by one company. Um, and that model, you know, but in contrast, there are some that are very deep in one state. You know, truly, for example, is public, and they're basically. They're expanding to other states now, but at, up until recently, they're basically only operating in Florida. So they went a made a strategy of going deep and dominating one market versus, you know, having lots of operations in lots of states. But at the end of the day, you know, I'd rather have you basically want to dominate the markets you're in. So if you can be in multiple markets and dominate them, that's fine. You know, being the you know the number 15 or number 20 operator in lots of markets isn't as attractive as being, you know, sort of the higher, you know, one, two or three operator in one or two markets. Uh, I think over time, most, um, at least most retailers and most um, sort of consumer branded companies are typically larger. Uh, So I think that will be, you know, the shift over time to that larger dominant model, but it will still probably have, a, uh, like the beer industry, you'll still probably have a bunch of smaller craft operators as well. But, you know, the bulk of it will still be, um, will still probably consolidate to a high volume uh, operator with scale. You know, if you have, the, you have Budweiser and then you've got lots of, you know, thousands of local craft breweries as well. So if you look at, at, the, at the scenario that you're talking about, and we see um, deregulation and decriminalization of the marijuana product, are we likely to see whole new players come into this market that aren't in it now, big companies? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, think, I think you definitely will. I think um, and that, and that's basically sort of the, the long case of, of – uh, cannabis in general is that it is still is still very very early days um I, I think for the legal cannabis industry in terms of additional states passing uh you know legalization efforts and then the federal level eventually having to um you know having to essentially change the current status of, of uh you know illegal status at a federal level of cannabis i mean at this point you know, 76% of people live in an area or in a state that has at least medical cannabis legalized. And, you know, the, and much of the country, there's been polls about how it's very heavily now in favor of you know, some kind of legalization. So when that happens, at this point, because it's federally illegal, the cost of capital is very high because the, ca- the industry in the U.S. can't access normal banking. Like you can't go down to a bank and get a mortgage 
on your greenhouse because most banks won't won't work with it because it's still federal drug trafficking and there's too high a risk that they get charged with money laundering, technically. Mm-hmm. If the Safe Banking Act passes, that would open up to basically protect the banks from who interact with this industry from from that issue. So then um, you know, the cannabis companies would then pay normal rates for capital. And at this point, you know, loans are you just automatically double whatever a normal company would pay just because it's still federally illegal. They also pay something called uh, they must pay much higher federal income taxes under a provision called 280E. That basically, because it's illegal, they essentially can't deduct lots of expenses that normal companies do. That results in effective tax rates of you know, 50% on income or even higher. So if, presumably if there's some kind of legalization, that goes away as well. And that's what I was saying, that the U.S. market is different than the Canadian market. We have a U.S. company. They're basically thinking, I can't, you know, I got to pay 20% for a normal loan, and then I got to pay a 50% tax rate. That's a really tough environment to operate in. If you had incremental legalization, then all of a sudden those two things, if you basically don't have to deal with them anymore, then then that's a huge benefit to that company that, you know, last week I couldn't get a loan. I had to pay a huge tax rate. This week the laws change, and now I can get a loan and pay a lower tax rate. That's great. And that's sort of the upside for the U.S. companies. So where do you where do you see, as we get close to this election, on the other side, do you see any any significant changes in the law on cannabis, regardless of who wins or loses and out of this coming Tuesday? I think the so in terms of cannabis, uh, the Safe Banking Act actually already passed the House, mm-hmm. um, but it was blocked in the Senate. So was probably actually more impactful than the presidency for cannabis, at least on that law, would be any changes in the Senate. Uh, there's two other acts. Uh, two other laws that are already in process called the Moore Act and the States Act um, that could also be moved forward. And, and they basically cover uh, cover different things. The Moore Act has more of actual overall legalization versus the Safe Banking Act, basically allowing access to traditional banking. Um, but generally, a blue Senate would be more favorable, I think more favorable to cannabis, uh, the Biden presidency might be more favorable, but the nice thing about it overall is it can still be argued as sort of a a bipartisan issue um, in terms of at least on that's a state if you if you go into a state's rights issue uh, on on the right and that's sort of what the the Safe Banking Act was going through is more sort of let states you know the states are already just made this legal let's resolve the the conflict with the federal government on that. But if it's a you know, blue presidency and a blue Senate, then the prospects for additional legalization is far, you know, far greater, I think. Okay. But it's politics, so who ultimately knows? Right, right. Okay. So um, thank you for uh, being with us today. Uh, we've been talking to Mike Regan, who's our money guy and a specialist in cannabis investing. And, Michael, how do people get a hold of you and follow you? Uh, you can uh, read uh, all the research I write on the cannabis industry at my website, mjresearchco.com. So MJ, the word research, co.com. If you uh, didn't hear all of this interview with Mike, you can go to w420radionetwork.com 
And you can listen to this show and also other shows that Mike's has been on and other shows in the archive section. Get yourself up to date. Thanks for joining us at The Conversation. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Dan Perkins with more information on the new Frontier Data software called Equio. Let me ask you this question. Would the success of your business be impacted if you knew the frequency of visits customers spent in competitor stores? Of course it would. The question is, where do you go to get this information? This is just one of the many pieces of information that you can get through the Equio software available at newfrontierdata.com. Remember to click on the Equio button and don't forget to ask for the special offer. I'm Dan Perkins. Welcome back to the conversation. This is Dan Perkins, and joining us today is Mr. Cannabis, Big Mike. And we're going to have a conversation with him about some of the products, not that his advanced nutrients, but some of the products, the cannabis products, the pre-rolls that he's in the process of bringing out. So welcome back to the conversation, Big Mike. Dan, it's always great to be back on the W420 Radio. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you, sir. So tell me about the the Big Mike special blends. What are you doing there? Oh yeah, well yeah, I, I I have a line of products coming out first quarter of 2021. It's it's called uh, it's called uh, Big Mike's Blends, and uh, it's it's a line of uh, uh, pre rolls, uh, concentrates, and uh, I'm looking and also uh, vape pens. So where, where do you – I know you have a facility for your, your fertilizer and growing meeting in Las Vegas and one up in, I think, in Oregon, and then you told us on your last appearance you're building a facility in Barcelona. Where do you build this – where do you manufacture and put together these cannabis products? Right here in, in beautiful California, in Linwood, Linwood, California. Okay. And so that's – so and, and those products, tell us about – what the products are going to look like in Big Mike's blend? Oh, sure. Uh, these products are are very unique because they use we use multiple strains to blend very specific cannabinoid and terpenoid profiles that give a very very precise uh, outcome. And then we also enhance that in, in some of the pre rolls. They're infused where we uh, put an extra THC. A, that's the acid form of THC, and we also put uh, use what's called uh, high terpene extracts. Uh, it really makes it more flavorful and uh, gives the uh, the outcome more of a very kind of like a rifle shot for what what the patient is looking for. So, the uh, the Big Mike's blend. You, you mentioned all, all kinds of products. Uh, there are they only going to be available in California? Right now, they're only going to be available in California. We will be licensing our technology globally as this marketplace grows. You just you took the words right out the question right out of my brain. I was going to ask it with the, with, <laughs> yeah. the, with the tremendous spread of of demand across the country and and, and around the world and growing and getting ready to probably explode dramatically. Um, I, I wondered how you were going to take advantage of the global market, um, but you're going to build your products in California, test them and, and sell them in California, and then you're going yep. to look for partners. And are you looking for like multi-state operators, or what, what are you going to be looking for? A- absolutely, multi-state operators. 
they don't have to be. You know, they could be the number one or number two player in, in any one of the states, and we will be talking to them. So you'll set up the specifications of what, what has to be – how it has to be grown? Is, is it, I know this is probably a, a bad way to say this, Mike, but is this like a McDonald's franchise? You have to follow no. procedures and do things. Well, yeah, sure. Well, here's here's my belief. My belief that in 2022 or 2023, cannabis is going to be federally legal. And when it becomes federally, they're going to have to because we're going to be in this huge economic downturn. Uh, the the Moore's Act that uh, the, the House just passed, uh, they propose a 5% federal tax on, on uh, cannabis. And so they're going to be, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna need money and so cannabis is gonna be legal. And because of that, we'll be able to there'll be you know, interstate commerce, there'll be global commerce, and the whole playing field is rad, radically going to change after twenty twenty three. And that's my belief. And so the doors will open up. Now, if I had to, sure, you, we can give them the strains. They can grow. We can provide the high terpene extracts because there's nothing psychoactive in there. You can ship those all around the world right now. There's not a restriction on them. Uh, there's not a restriction on, uh, you know, they say, well, what about taking the genetics over here or there? Well, with tissue cultures, there's no restrictions on tissue cultures. They can be sent all around the world right now. So there's, there's a, there's a, there is a, a, if you will, a, a pathway to, to doing that right now, if you will, but it's going to become a lot easier in 2023, and I'm building everything up towards that big push uh, in 2022 or 2023 when it becomes federally legal. If you look at what's going on, there, there, the word that I'm hearing on the street is the while the House bill was important, mm-hmm. the real thing that that that's going to cause a dramatic change in the marketplace on a global basis was what the UN did when they decided to pass uh, the rules to decriminalize cannabis on a global basis. And, and, and surprisingly enough, the United States voted in favor of that. That's going to create, um, treme- I think, tremendous growth opportunities. Uh, and I'm wondering about the ability of the industry to be able to provide product. I know what happens like in Illinois and other places when they open up the, everything's yeah. gone. Uh, they don't have mm-hmm. enough capacity. And, and then you've got some other places where they're slowing down. But mm-hmm. this pandemic created a huge, um, a huge change, in, I think, in, in, in cannabis in the sense that people saw it as, a, as an essential service. But mm-hmm. I'm doing an interview later, later this week with a gentleman in Canada, which I, I really can't believe this happened. But apparently the, 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 the cannabis authority in Canada – gave him a license to actually sell cannabis products directly to the consumer. And it's the there first license that has been granted granted like that in, 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 in Canada. But, you know, I've always thought that, that, that is the day coming where Amazon is going to be a distribution point for cannabis products. It, it, well, for, it, it is for CBD, uh, so I would think that when it's federally legal, they will probably allow that. But who knows? I mean, some, you know, there's these restrictions on alcohol and tobacco advertising. They may do exactly the same for cannabis. We have yet to see what will, what will happen. Right. So what do you, what do you, think, uh, what do you think from your standpoint as a business operator who's got a phenomenally growing business for, for decades, what are your challenges going forward? 
this explosion that we've already talked about. Right, because the demand for cannabis is, is, is going up globally. That means the demand for, we're at the beginning of the value chain. So we're into fertilizer and genetics. So that is just expanding at a rapid rate and it's expanding so fast. I'm having difficulties keeping up with the demand for all our products. It's, it's a good problem to have. Cause... It is, it is, it is a problem. I don't like being able to have to serve our, our, the, the, uh, the store owners and the growers and uh, ultimately the patients with a top quality product growing with our nutrients. So do you think that the, uh, that the, uh, there are some people, Mike, who think that we don't need medical, that adult recreational can meet the needs of both uh, recreational and medical. And the other people say, the products are different. What do you think about whether we need two separate distribution systems? We, we don't. To, to me, anyone who's using cannabis is, is a patient. People use cannabis for all sorts of reasons, and most of them have to do with making them feel better so, or, or thinking or enhancing some kind of a situation that they're in. Uh, we find uh, I've, been, I've been studying a lot of research, Mike, and it looks like that the number one reason why people regardless of age are using cannabis is not for the high it's for pain mm-hmm. you're right and the, the new the, the new patients that are coming in most of it is for pain relief and that patient will spend three times more money than the average recreational user but back to the original question about rec every Everyone, to me, using cannabis, medical or recreational, I don't make that distinction in my brain. I, I mean, I'm aware of it, but I believe that also because of taxation purposes, you're going to see everybody going to rec eventually and what they call adult use. And that will be it. You'll be able to walk into a local you know, 7-Eleven and there'll be you know, a stand with cannabis products on there that you'll be able to, to purchase just like alcohol or other products. Well, we've we've only got a few minutes left. I want to I, I want to take you to the to the future a little bit because I want to sure. follow on something that you were talking about. One of the other people who was on the uh, the first or second show when you first came on was mm-hmm. a doctor who's doing a research project now clinical trials at Harvard uh, Dana Farber Cancer Institute, and mm-hmm. he's working on using cannabis to treat um, pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. And he's having some, some initially great success. And he said to me, as I've continued to talk to him over the last year or so, he says to me that, there, that, that something what you just said, and that is that he believes the day is coming when, when growers and developers like yourself are going to be able to grow products for the medical side to deal with very specific challenges. Do you think that's possible? Yes, uh, 100%. Uh, like the Harvard uh, group that is, is, is studying that for, for pancreatic cancer, that's a, that's a flavonoid uh, that they're, they're working around that came, that was extracted out of, out of cannabis. And very specific will, and that's more, we, we talked earlier about adult use, and we, and we also talked about medical. This is, to me, pharmaceutical. 
And, and pharmaceutical is going to be laser-focused, very, very specific ailments. And the, uh, what was it? the DEA just said they're, they're, they're now allowing people to have research licenses for cannabis. And the reason right. is that the pharma, the pharma companies uh, want to get cracking on a lot of these different things that, that cannabis uh, can relieve. And you know, that it, it costs a lot of money to do that. It's going to cost $50 million to $300 million for every one of the claims that they're making. And that, that's you know, the realm of, of, of big pharma. I mean, and they will be definitely going to be involved with very specific products for very specific ailments. So that when you were talking earlier in this show, you were talking about different strains of cannabis. Is that how you're going to custom make them to the strains? Oh, right. So, yeah, we blend the different strains together because we're looking for a very, very precise uh, cannabinoid and terpenoid profiles. And once we, we figure out the strains, we, t we test them, we blend them together. Also, what it gives the patient is a, a much bigger cannabinoid and terpenoid profile. Uh, the people who have medicated with our pre-rolls go, wow, these things are just absolutely in incredible. And they just, they love them. And now we've taken it to even uh, a higher level by using high terpene extracts along with blended, uh, blended strains, multiple strains. We use anywhere from four to six strains uh, we blend together for each outcome. Well, I'm I'm, I'm uh, sorry to say that we're out of time. It's, it's, again, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. you I learn so much from you every time you're on. Tell, tell our audience, uh, I, I know you can't get your, your Big Mike uh, products yet in California, but you said sometime in the first quarter. We'll have it back in mm -hmm. the first quarter when you relaunch that. But uh, for your other growing products, how do they reach you and follow, follow you and follow your products? Sure. Uh, you know, they can look at Big Mike's Blends up on the internet. They'll, they'll find it. There is, there is a website there uh, for the, the, the fertilizer products. Uh, it is advanced, with a D, advancednutrients.com. And, of course, if you want to, uh, you can follow me on Instagram. You just uh, type in Big Mike and uh, the search thing, and you'll, you'll find me there. And uh, on that Instagram, you'll be exposed to Big Mice Blends, Advanced Nutrients, our, our hemp products, plus a plethora of, of information about the plant itself. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great being on the show, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So if you, if you missed any of this great interview with Mike, you can go to w420radionetwork.com, go to the archive section, and look for the show with Big Mike. He's on a couple of other times. Listen to other shows. And... Um, you'll learn a lot more about what, what is a very important industry to our country and to a lot of Americans who need help. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Dan Perkins. Here's more important information about the Engage section of the amazing software for new frontier data called Equio. These are just examples of some of the things that Engage can do for you. You will be able to see and understand consumption preferences at the county, state, and even the zip code level. You'll want to follow product trends filtered by age and gender so you know exactly what to offer and how to market it. How about learning the market density of the location you might be considering to expanding your business? Use the Visit Index score to determine the trends that impact your outreach and messaging. Engage with your customers 
customer base to expand and repeat your value. You can learn more about product trends filtered by age and gender. This valuable information helps you to know exactly what to offer and how to market it. Things are changing rapidly and you need the latest information from an independent source to keep yourself informed of the changing markets. For more information on the EQO software package, go to newfrontierdata.com, click on the EQO software, and don't forget to ask about the special offer. This is Dan Perkins. Thank you for taking part in America's Cannabis Conversation. To hear this show in its entirety or to hear any of our archive shows, log on to americascannabisconversation.com and tune in for the next installment of America's Cannabis Conversation. W420radionetwork.com